0: The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Outlander business. The two-seater commercial SUV with over 2,000 litres of cargo space. Two-tonne
1: towing capacity and legendary four-wheel drive technology. MitsubishiMotors.ie It's Thursday and this is George Hook with the Right Hook on News Talk. Here's a digest of some of the items we had on the programme today. I'm joined now by... Californian, longtime Oregon resident, and now resident of Ireland, but perhaps not for long. It's Jane Fadley, the author of Chickens in the Garden, Willy's By the Door, a memoir of an American in rural Ireland. Jane, welcome to the program. Um, A memoir of an American in rural Ireland. What brought you to rural Ireland? Well,
2: um, I'd long wanted to go to Ireland. I've got my grandmother was an O'Rourke, although she was born in the States. So I do have some Irish uh, ancestry. And uh, in 2009, I finally made it here, my first trip over. And I just instantly fell in love and came back every year uh, for the next four and finally, pulled up stakes and moved
1: here. Okay, but you moved to Ireland. That's that's all great news, but um, you're not. You're going to have to leave. You're going to be thrown out. Why are you thrown out?
2: Well, i um, because I'm not wealthy enough. Uh, oh. Ireland now. Well, as with every country, I suppose they want to make sure that you're not going to become a burden uh, to the state. Uh, you're supposed to have enough to. Support yourself. Obviously, um, they thought I did uh, the first two years. They approved me for permission to stay, and then now they've raised the bar on the income threshold, and I don't have anywhere near that sort of income. Nor do I have the backup lump sum that they want you to have, which is about one hundred and fifty thousand.
1: All right, but uh, you you bought a house, did you not? Oh,
2: I didn't. Thank God I didn't. Um, Because I know of someone actually up in Donegal who did purchase a home, and she's having to just walk away and leave it here.
1: Because she's been kicked out as well. Right. And she's American. (laughs) Correct. Correct. But uh, this thing about, I mean, about you, you came to Ireland, you fell in love, you rented a house, you wrote a book, which uh, talks about your time here. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have to apply for a permit every year, is it?
2: That's that's correct. For this. the uh, situation for retired individuals such as myself um, is every 12 months, you've got to apply for permission to stay. Otherwise... You're just good for ninety days.
1: But you can But they they said you've been here over two years, so they agree. I, ha- I and- have.
2: I've been here almost three years. It takes them uh, considerable time to approve your application, so which kind of buys you additional time. That's how come I've been here nearly three years. But they just give you twelve months at a time from the time they they approve you. Then you have twelve more months. And then you have to apply again to
1: renew that permission. But uh, how uh, how much money do you have to have? I mean, how much? Well, I, I'm sorry for trying. Well, Don't is, I'm not worried about you. But how much yeah. does one have to have? Oh, okay. There, uh, when I moved
2: here, there was no published sum. It was just that you should, you know, uh, be able to prove that you could support yourself. And so, at that time, I showed proof of income and savings and how much my expenses were going to be, gave them a budget essentially to show them that, yes, I could, that my income quite adequately covered my expenses. However, they've now changed that and there is a specific income threshold of 50,000 euros annually plus a backup sum of 150,000 euros in cash.
1: All right. But (laughs) if their worry, of course, is that if you get sick or Mm -hmm. need long-term care, that would cost a lot of money. So they want to know that you've got a lot of money to pay for that long-term care. Now, one of the things about your home country is the question of health insurance. Do you still carry American health insurance, for argument's sake? I
2: do. I I have Medicare, so that you know, if I ever needed any sort of a procedure or anything, I could I could go back to the States and uh, have that taken care of. But and I have private insurance here as well.
1: And you have private insurance, and uh, but, but you don't have the income to reach their threshold, is what it amounts to.
2: Oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> I don't think too many of us here in County Kerry do
1: well that's really a point that uh there'll be a lot of irish citizens who probably mightn't have that sort of a threshold and right. um, right. but but we are i mean you know in the coming weeks and months and years we're going to welcome an awful lot of these people to the people to this, these shores who won't have the proverbial pot to urinate in um, right. who are going to be a drain on the economy from day one. Uh, we find it difficult here in the radio studio to discover why it's so difficult for you. Having said that, um, what about your action? I mean, are you, are you are you fighting this? Have you got somebody pleading your yeah. case? <laughs>
2: Uh, now, uh, so it was. Uh, it's been nearly a year ago that they. What they did was they renewed my permission. They gave me an additional year, and then in my renewal letter, it clearly said the last sentence was, "You're not eligible for any further renewals." So pretty much from that point on, I've been questioning it, uh, protesting it, uh, uh, inquiring about it to, to try and figure out why. If I was all right the first two times that they uh, approved me, what, what's wrong with me now? Um, because nothing's changed. I live in the same place, same expenses, same income. Everything is the same. Now, p- persons such as myself are not eligible for any social welfare benefits in Ireland. So, you know, I understand the whole concern about someone becoming a burden to the state. However, the the greatest burden I could become would be that they would have to buy me a plane ticket and ship me back home. And I don't think that that's really a huge burden. <laughs> I mean,
1: now on the there off, are only
2: off chance, you know.
1: Yeah, where are you living in Kerry?
2: I'm living in Kinmare.
1: Oh, you, you uh, interesting. There's a couple of people there you might know. Do you know anybody by the name of Healy Ray there, do you?
2: I do, and I did contact the gentleman, and um, he expressed Uh, Concern and said he was sorry for the situation, and that's as far as that went.
1: He didn't do anything? No. (laughs)
3: Well,
2: I tell you what, Uh, we'll give him. him Mark Daly has been quite helpful in following up with immigration uh, several times for me when I wasn't hearing anything back, and he has been able to at least get a response from them. Uh, However, you know, the response is that I don't have enough money. Now, uh, the Minister for Justice, uh, Francis Fitzgerald, uh, made a statement that I just recently became aware of back in October saying that persons such as myself who obtained permission to stay prior to the new rules, the 50,000 and the 150,000, would still be treated as they were under the old rule. But that's not what's happening. They are applying the new rules to me. All no, right.
1: I, sure. Well, what we're going to do, um, just before I talk about that, I mean, you came here, you fell in love with the place and all that sort of good stuff, yeah. um, and you've you've never asked for a penny for anybody. You've supported yourself, and nope. you've contributed to the local economy by going to the supermarket, the Healy Ray supermarket, and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Has this soured your view of the... You know,
2: um, it 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 really did for a while, and it's only just been re- very recently that I've just said, look, you know, this is not this is not Ireland that's doing this. This is not the people of Ireland. This is this is some, you know, bureaucrats sitting in an office somewhere, and that's not Ireland. So I've been able to kind of, you know, get get past it a, a little bit. Of course, it will always leave a bit of a, a, a sour taste in my mouth. I'm sure, but. Um, I'm just trying to have a... You know, a reasonable attitude about it.
1: All right. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for joining me. We're going to get on to Senator Mark Daly and uh, see what we can uh, bring up. And uh, um, also the department has said that the guidelines published in 2015 do not affect people who were approved for what is in effect long-term retirement migration prior to that. But you weren't actually approved for long-term retirement. You were only given no it, one your visa anyway
2: that that's correct and when I questioned that because that's what I thought when I came here I was applying to be a retiree a resident in Ireland as a retired individual and they and I was told that retirees would only be given a stamp zero which is what you're talking about a, a stamp zero is All
1: right.
2: uh temporary uh you know 12 months at a time
1: Jane Fadley their author of Chickens in the Garden while by door. Uh, your thoughts to 53106. Uh, are you, like me, a little surprised that someone who comes here uh, with uh, money to support him or herself uh, gets a, a, a rough ride and somebody who comes here with no money is gets Kate Mila Fulcher. Your thoughts, as always, on that matter to 53106.
0: The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander seven-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for
1: super-smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie The Labour Party today published its Water Charges Bill 2016. The purpose of the bill is to ensure that uh, if water charges were suspended, there should be fair treatment for people who've already paid. I'm joined by uh, Willie Penrose, Labour TD for Lankford Westmeath. Deputy Penrose, welcome to the programme.
0: Good evening, George. And uh, this
1: evening. bill will have, uh, if not universal support, it'll have support of half the population.
0: Well, there's 950,000 people out there, George, who paid their bills, who complied with the law. They're law-abiding citizens. Some people don't like, didn't like the legislation, and they still pay their bills. May paid on their protest, but a law is a law, and unless changed, it remains the law of the land, and we're obliged to obey it, whether we like it or not. Some of the laws that I that I often have to obey myself, I may not like them, but that's that's another issue. And in that context, you know, I mean, those are people who scrimped and scraped, and under the financial strait and circumstances they're in, they paid up. There'd be pensioners, there'd be young families, young people with families paying mortgage, trying to, and this is another little imposition. But they paid for the right reasons. All
1: right, but uh, you're a party of 70 days. How do you get this passed?
0: Well, the point about it is that, uh, you know, um, it's, it's as, as, as you said there, uh, fairly in the introduction, there is a confidence and supply arrangement between Fianna Fall and Fianna Gill and that provides for the suspension of the domestic charges for a period of nine months from the end of the current billing cycle. And that's going to be extended if necessary to facilitate the work of the Special Oireachtas Committee, and there'll be commissions, there'll be multiple commissions. and. Uh, you know, I, you, you quite fairly says it's in the program government that the water charges are going to be suspended. No,
1: no, but Deputy Penrose, uh, it's not in the program for government The people who paid are going to get it back.
0: No, this, uh, this is what I'm, to, but I, I'm, I'm going to answer, but I'm going to deal with that for you now. Because once the charges are suspended, well, that does not mean we should, you know, uh, suspend our, our faculties as it says. Because uh, as far as nightfall, as sure as nightfall as day, charges are effectively dead in the water as well as as for water charges, but. So, uh, there's a new political dispensation which you have discussed extensively on your programmes in terms of the doll arithmetic. And in part of this, there's now new structures and doll proceedings and rules and regulations being brought, play- brought forward. And we can now introduce a bill, have it debated at second stage. And once it was debated at second stage under the old rules, George, and uh, the public know this, it died a debt. It would be put into a moribund state never to see the light of day again. A government could whittle their thumbs and leave it there dead. Under the new rules that are going to be passed in the next number of weeks, if it goes through second stage, it then must be debated in committee within 10 weeks. And if there are that people... I believe that all... You know, as you said, there's more than half of the people, maybe members of the Dáil, who apparently were elected, and this is what's been conveyed to us, who are opposed to water charges, and that's their democratic right. We're not disputing that or taking issue it, but what we want to do is stand up for the people, ordinary, decent, law-abiding people who... Okay. Adhere to the law, of the land.
1: But what you are saying also individually is that if this legislation doesn't pass, you will lead a class action. Correct. Now, a class action is quite unusual in Ireland, but not in America. And this is where a number of people band together uh, to pay for the legal costs of taking an action on all their behalves against somebody. So, um, you know, if you're taking a class action, I've signed up already. You can. Count me in, um, well, and there's no doubt that of 900,000 people, a huge amount of people would support a class action. Well,
0: that's, you're, you're you're now arriving at the problem where this is important, and I hope that the government sees sense and repays people on the net basis what they what they've paid, and it's a very simple thing. But you're right, although class charges are not, are, are class actions are not permitted or have been followed through in earlier. But I believe, and the Law Reform Commission are very strong in advocating that there would be a class actions permitted. And And I believe this is a perfect way for, one, if the government in nine months' time or 12 months' time or whatever length of time they want to to reflect upon this by by committees and commissions and the devil knows what. And if they they don't repay, I I already, George, have and I have probably the benefit of being a barrister, I suppose It's, it's 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 a little maybe plus at this point in time, but I have already drafted the plenary summons. Uh, and I'm ready. I have a number of uh, release out, set out at Plenary summons. I did it over the weekend. So I'm ready to go, There it be in nine months, 12 months or 15 months. And I'm prepared to do it on behalf of the people. And like you, like you said, there's a number of people out there waiting and who put their names. And obviously you're a prominent personality, but there's a number of your colleagues and a number of other people and a number of people in the media who have contacted me and said, okay. they the right. the, the, the like to pay their way. The fee that should pay for the services indeed I was told said to me today, but at the end of the day that's grand, but you should never be left feeling a fool for having obeyed the law of the land. And the only way that we can do this is by levelling the playing pitch. And that's what the Labour Party has spelled out clearly today in the course of this uh, Water charges Fair Treatment of Customers Bill.
1: Why are you carrying torch for this when uh, the former minister, Alan Kelly, is in your ranks and he's the Water charges man, formerly? Why isn't he carrying the torch?
0: Well, the point about it is that I'm chairperson of the Parliamentary Party. And we're now, shortly, I suppose, embarking upon the leadership whenever the executive board meets uh, the weekend and that will open that probably next week and that'll be open for a week or so so I think in fairness uh, I am a barrister by profession and well everybody you and all your people listeners were, were wondering what's happening in government I, have, I was drafting this bill so, I mean, I, as, uh, and, and uh, from a neutral perspective, I think it's better that I present it, and I did. And I was asked by the Parliamentary Party, we, over the past two weeks we've discussed this. So we weren't whittling away and sitting there on our behind doing nothing. Okay. And to be honest with you, George, this is the first of a trilogy. Uh, I am, I'm now telling you, maybe you're listening for the first time, uh, next week I'm going with the public ownership of a certain assets bill. 2016, and that will deal not just with maintaining the water, wastewater systems and water, public water supply and public ownership, but also the electricity and gas transmission and distribution networks. And that's next week. And the week after that, and I might as well reveal all to you now, is that I'll be going with a very substantial housing bill which will have 10 or 12 sections dealing with a lot of the issues of the day, including rent, including CPOs, including NAMA, and all of those things. And so in a two weeks' time, I hope to be back in your programme outlining what we our contribution What to do we do to
1: put, but I mean now the issue is water the issue yes. now is water uh, and the news of uh uh, minister Finian uh, McGrath, has he paid or has he resigned? Well, I
0: don't know. I mean, look, everybody... Uh, we, 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 once
1: oh, but you have a there, view. Paid, have a view. That's
0: the law of the land. We And particularly us as legislators, we have a, a particular duty to make sure that we kind of adhere to the law as best we can. We may not like it, and that's the idea, is that we'd argue and change it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, I know, and I only read there today, that, you know, uh, our our job is 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 simple enough. I mean, we, we have we should obey the laws that we are party to making, and I would urge everybody to do that, and particularly somebody who's going into government, George. And I have to say, you know, I was a bit concerned when I saw that Finian have said that, you know, that he's he's going to seek the Attorney General's advice for advice for what to pay a bill. You know, I mean, you can't be selective about what you wish to, what laws you wish to obey, and uh, 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 okay. is, that, is he the first citizen of Ireland ever to go and seek the Attorney General's advice to pay for what is statutory due? I'm okay. somewhat perplexed and amazed by it, and I would urge him to do so. All and right. then, if this bill is passed, sure he'll be like every other citizen; he will have, have done his right, what was right, and then he can get it back. Hopefully, if okay. this bill is passed.
1: All right, I didn't go to the Attorney General; I went to barrister William. Penrose, the <laughs> Labour TD for long for the rest of me then uh, hopefully the new legislation Labour are bringing forward or indeed the class action led by Deputy Penrose will mean 900,000 of us will get a check in the post in due course. Uh, Deputy Penrose, thank you for joining me. Thank you, George.
0: The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander seven-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes
1: at your fingertips.
0: Mitsubishimotors.ie
1: Welcome back, it's The Right Hook. And we're in Cork, of course, in the iconic Opera House where our studio is based. And uh, I'm joined now by Claire Keane, who's economist in the Social Policy Division of the Employment, Labour and Social Affairs Directorate of the OECD. However, uh, the reason for asking Claire to come on the programme is she's been speaking at a seminar in Dublin today on the issue of youth unemployment. Claire, welcome to the programme. Thanks very much, George. Are youth unemployment, give me a handle on the numbers, what sort of percentage relative to the general uh, unemployment figures?
4: So youth unemployment has been traditionally higher than, than employment of older, um, the unemployment rate of older adults. Um, But what we're actually focusing on is youth unemployment rate. The issue with looking just at that is that it looks solely at young people who are not working. They're unemployed, but they're seeking work. So we are focusing on what we call the NEAT group. So it's the the proportion of young people who are not in employment, education or training. Um, And what's interesting about going past the youth unemployment rate is that more than half of this group are actually what we call inactive. So they're not working and they're not looking for work. So they're not picked up in the normal statistics that we see when we talk about youth unemployment
1: but if you're talking about young people uh, who aren't working and aren't looking for work, it might sound a little middle class, but nevertheless, one has to say they're not terribly interested.
4: Um. You could say that, you could say it's a personal choice that they don't want to work. But what we find is when we dig into this group and we look at them, um, we have more women in this group who are inactive because um, of childcare responsibilities. So there will be some of those women who want to work, but because of the high cost of childcare in Ireland, they're unable to take up employment. Um, within this group as well, we have people who have, are, are ill or have disabilities. And again, they may be able to work, but they might need to work part time. They might need some kind of program to help reskill them and get them back into the workforce or into education. So it's not solely a choice by this group to to not work at all.
1: But I mean, we're talking about young people. Um, first of all it's interesting that you talk about young people and then you talk about childcare as well so presumably you are talking about young mothers whether single or in relationships but you're talking about quite young mothers Uh, and then also talking about people with disabilities and so on this is a very narrow market so this is a market which by definition would always have a high empo- a unemployment ratio because of the difficulties have already said. Isn't that so?
4: Yeah, well what we see within this group... There isn't a
1: magic bullet for this, I mean.
4: No, and within this group, for example, people with illness or disabilities they're only around 6% of, of the group of young people who are out of work but there still is potential there for a lot of these people to, to be involved in work and they would like to work but they, they face barriers. I think when we talk about women with children, that's a larger proportion of the group particularly the over 25, so the twenty five Five to 29-year-olds, and the majority of those reporting that they're not working and they're not looking for work because of, of childcare um, child responsibilities and other caring responsibilities. Um, young women tend to be more likely to be carers for uh, elderly parents, etc. Um, so there, there's this group. And then, of course, we have the, the unemployed. So those young people are out there and want to work but aren't able to. Um, and there's different sides there. Obviously, there's the demand sides. There may not be enough jobs available. But what we see amongst this group is that they're often the lower educated, particularly the male, So they may not have even completed upper secondary or have at most upper secondary and for this group It's going to be very important to try and re-engage them in some education in reskilling to get them back into the workforce. If we think about young males who are working in the construction sector, for example, a lot of the skills that they have may now be redundant because the, the demand isn't out there for these these skills. Um, so, trying to reskill them will be important to get them back into the workforce. And we have to remember, across the OECD and in Ireland, our populations are ageing and uh, the population is getting older. We need these young people to be in work to help provide for the retirement of of the current workers.
1: But the problem, all of these groups, um, I have to be careful with my language here, but in in terms of productivity, if you look at people with poor, but particularly if you look at people with poor educational qualifications, traditionally, uh, the people in that class were picked up by uh, uh manual work of which now all that's left essentially is uh, construction. I mean, I'm speaking to you from the city of Cork where like just down the road for me, Ford's would have had a factory which picked up many sort of unskillful people. If you look across America, there were, or Britain, there were people working on uh, conveyor belts and so on of different kind of work, which was not skillful work. Uh, the amount of unskilled jobs available in uh, the f- the first world is dramatically reduced because those jobs have effectively gone to the third world. So people can buy the work done by unskilled workers immeasurably cheaper from China or somewhere else.
4: Yes, and uh, that's definitely occurring across a lot of the, the better off OECD countries. There's just not the demand there or those jobs that the previously wouldn't have required even a secondary education. There's a demand now for someone with a degree to fill that. Um, But I do think we can, uh, I see the Irish government at the moment is planning on expanding the apprenticeship system. So the apprenticeship system in Ireland is very much focused on um, certain occupations, mainly construction. If we look at Germany or countries like Germany and Denmark, apprenticeships are in a very wide range of occupations. So these people who may perhaps have been in construction previously can go back into reskill in things like in Germany you can get apprenticeships in finance, in accounting you don't have to go the third level route um, and it, the good thing about this is often what re- employers are reporting is that the young people that are coming out don't have the skills they may be skilled but they don't have the skills that the employers want and when you involve employers through apprenticeships through vocational training the employers get to feed in directly to the, the education and the skills that young people are learning and it makes for a much better match in right. the workplace
1: But if you look where I was this morning at Presentation College Cork, talking admittedly fee paying school uh, top 5% of kids probably in the country educationally, but nevertheless this is a school which by and large sends 100% of its kids to third level education. But it doesn't matter whether it is one of the best schools in the country or not, 100% of the kids in any sixth year, in any school are not ideally suited for university. Uh But our our system, and this is why um, you can't make comparisons with Germany, because Germany has intrinsically a completely different approach to the idea of non, if I can I just use the phrase, non-intellectual based training, if you like. In other words, the con- conventional non-third level. What we have gone absolutely for is third level in every hamlet in the country.
4: Mm-hmm. And this, this goes back to the information that young people are receiving. So I was recently on a trip to to Sweden, and very much like Ireland vocational training is seen to be second tier it's the weaker students who go into it but it is changing in that they actually allowed companies to get involved in the curriculum of secondary um, schools and what we've seen is that um, students who are actually quite you know performing quite well once they know that there are employment prospects out there so certain technological jobs for example in certain companies um, the higher performing students are applying for these and vocational training doesn't have the same kind of stigma that it may have in okay. Ireland
1: so uh, But but sorry Claire, your you're so right. But if you take me, again, forgive me using a personal example, but I need an electrician. I cannot get an electrician. I can get a lawyer. I can get an accountant. I can get an economist, God forbid. I can get them in droves. I cannot get an electrician. So, therefore, if you were talking to a kid today, it's a kid male or female, you should be an electrician because you'd be able to charge the earth because guys like Hook who are sitting in darkness uh, with no toaster and kettle uh, would pay any amount of money for an electrician. And this is where we've got it wrong. That the idea of vocational training and the Swedes have got, but the Swedes have got everything wrong, so to mind that. Uh, but where they've got it wrong is to view vocational training as second rate.
4: Mm-hmm. And a, a large part of this comes back to research has shown that career guidance counsellors can be biased towards more academic education and they're pushing students into this. Even students who may not want to, they may not want to go on to a three or four year course, they may feel they're more practically minded and want to engage in the workforce. And I think that's what's very important. So in other countries, with some. Sometimes they actually link up the secondary schools with the public employment service, and they explain to them that there are jobs out there. They, you know, they know the salaries that they can face. We need to ensure that the kids, particularly the kids, what we see is need rates are higher when um, their parents are low educated or their parents aren't working themselves. So their parents may not be able to give them the guidance they need, and these children rely a lot more on guidance in schools than better-off children whose parents can guide them. So we need to ensure that there is this link that career guidance counsellors like that are able to say, look, if you go into vocational training, these are the kind of salaries that you can get, you know, you can work at the same time if you want to have some income and maybe you don't want to go on to university. So rather than dropping out entirely, um, they move into to this area and it's going to take a mind, you know, it, a mind shift is needed um, and as I said, the government has announced plans for rolling out apprenticeships into 25 different occupations and I do think it will take time, but that it can, over time, become right. more popular if we have the right feedback from employers. Even employers going into schools and explaining prospects that are out there, so that young people feel that they are equipped with the you know the knowledge that they need, okay. and that vocational training isn't seen to be you know just what you do when you failed at something else, basically.
1: All right, thank you so much, Claire Keen, economist at the Social Policy Division uh, in the OECD. It's the right hook with George Hooker. Thoughts to five three. 106 costs 30 cent.
0: The right hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie.
1: Well, I'm joined now from uh, Maryland by Mary Davis, who has just been appointed the Global Chief Executive for Special Olympics. This is an extraordinary appointment for an Irish person because, of course, in the history of Special Olympics, it has always been uh, an an American preserve. Mary, welcome to the programme.
3: Thank you, George. And
1: congratulations. We're very proud of you.
3: Thank you, indeed. Yeah, I feel very honoured and humbled, indeed, to have this position as Chief Executive, and I look forward to trying to make a difference over the next number of years that I'll be in the, in the position.
1: Now, the fact that uh, we're talking to you in Maryland, uh, it, it, does that mean you're already at the, on the job?
3: Yes, I am, George. I was actually um, acting chief executive since October last year, so that was six months, and then I was appointed yesterday as the full-time chief executive.
1: I'm, I am correct in saying it's been a, an American preserve up to this point, is that right?
3: Yes, yeah, that is correct, uh, George. Yeah, all of the CEOs has been, have been from the U.S. before. So, um, so it's good to have uh, somebody from another country, and I think it reflects the global nature of Special Olympics now because it exists in over 170 countries with. Uh, 5.3 million athletes participating year-round in the programme. So I think it's a good reflection of the global nature of the organisation.
1: Well, of course, uh, it's really well known from that, uh, from the extraordinary event we had here in Ireland. The way it, towns were were involved in hosting people, the incredible volunteerism, uh, the likes of which I think, to be honest, we we hadn't seen before. Uh, uh, the, the wonderful night in. Club Park, I mean, this, this is an extraordinary uh, organization because, of course, it brings together in an athletic endeavor uh, people with special needs, which, you know, we don't have to go back too many decades where people with special needs would simply have never imagined that they could take part in organized sport.
3: Yeah, and, you know, that's the case still in many places around the world that we're operating in now. And I I see very much my job as to take the model and what has been created in Ireland and really bring that, that message worldwide. It was first time that the games were held outside of the US when they came to Ireland. And people still talk about that experience, George. Every country I go to, uh, I was in Canada recently, I was in South Africa, I was in Singapore, and everybody talks about the experience that they had in Ireland and staying in the host towns. We had 177 host towns and how friendly and warm and welcoming and engaging all of the communities across the island of Ireland were and the sport great sports events full audiences participated, the opening ceremony you mentioned, that did leave an indelible mark on all of the countries and was a catalyst for huge change around the world, not just in Ireland. We all know what it did in Ireland in terms of creating clubs and networks out of the host town programme afterwards, but it really inspired people around the world to go back and look at their programmes and try and reach out more athletes, more opportunities for the athletes to be the best they could because that's what they saw in Ireland and that's what the people of Ireland did.
1: But uh, I mean, I remember and it's very important because people thinking of Special Olympics think of athletic endeavor. I remember going to the RDS and where there was like a dental setup where you had a bunch of, of dentists, volunteer dentists, and huge number of these young people were coming and presenting with dental problems and suddenly they were getting treatment for more for maybe the first time in their lives. So what we were seeing with Special Olympics was was a reaching out towards it, like we're very lucky lucky in Ireland I think it's fair to say as a first ranked nation um where we have the, the the finance we have the support those things for special needs but when you go to countries uh, more third world countries where People with special needs are left behind. Like, I I go to um, Romania a lot where the relics of the Ceausescu regime uh, still exist in those camps. And these are people with special needs that have essentially not been looked after. What Special Olympics is doing is extraordinary. And, like, you have our congratulations. It's great to have a voice in the corridors of power uh, in Special Olympics in the USA. Uh, Just listening to you there, um, it Looks as if your uh, frequent flyer miles are going to be uh, pretty uh, big in this job. And I hope it's a great job. And, of course, continuing on the extraordinary work of Eunice Kennedy, who had the foresight and the vision to start Special Olympics.
3: Absolutely, well thank you very much uh, George for that Um,
1: Thank you so much for joining me newly appointed Global Chief Executive at Special Olympics Ireland's own Mary Davis The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for
0: super smooth gear changes at your fingertips MitsubishiMotors.ie Shane
1: Coleman in the newsdog studio, he joins me now. Shane, more information on the program for government Referenda by the uh, the quadruple apparently is that so
5: referendums. By the quadruple, George, to be pedantic, and um, apparently the plural of referendums is actually referendums, not referenda. No, you
1: can be as pedantic as you like. The refer the plural of referendum is referenda,
5: it's not, I'm afraid, it's referendums. But uh, it's uh, we, we we'll agree to disagree on that, but uh, it is referendums. Uh, I checked this out before I, I came in, but anyway, yes, for check uh, out
1: what they're doing.
5: Yeah, uh, four referendums uh, being promised, and we'll probably have one as well on the on the Eighth Amendment once this uh, Citizens' Convention, or whatever it's called, uh, sits. Uh, the, the four are um, in relation to... One is in relation to a clause in the Constitution, which refers to a woman's life within the home. The other second is about the removal of blasphemy. The other is a very technical issue about the Universal Patent Court, which I, I don't think we need to get into a lot of detail, but it's a basically allowing for a local division of a patent an EU patent court to be established in Ireland It needs a referendum because it involves a limited transfer of jurisdiction from the but Irish But all the hold a while,
1: let's go back in here. They're going to be a full referendum. The blasphemy law is barely in.
5: It is, and I heard you saying that at the start of the programme, but see, the problem with the 2009 blasphemy law is it was heavily influenced by the fact Uh, and the minister's hands at the time were tied uh, because there is a reference to blasphemy in the constitution and pretty much nobody thinks there is a case for blasphemy being in the constitution anymore. Uh, There hasn't been a conviction for blasphemy in Ireland since 1855. All right,
1: okay, we're tidying up the constitution. All right, so we're going to spend £40 tidying up the constitution. Well, now, now that's a different matter.
5: That's a different matter as to
1: whether or not uh, what about the woman's place in the home? That's far more important.
5: Well, this is Article 41.2 of the Constitution. It prioritises a woman's domestic role. It basically reads, George, the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. But
1: that's, that's correct. Like, that is very meaningful. And increasingly, we are not recognising the role of the mother in the home. Okay. In, fact, in fact, women in the home are actually being denigrated. Why aren't they out working?
5: Yeah, uh, well, just, just to, I, I'll get to that in a second. Just to finish it off, it also says the state shall endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. Now, there's two views on this. One is the view uh, as... ...put forward by the Labour Party, for example, earlier this year... ...where they said this is offensive, it's uh, outdated, it's uh, anachronistic... Uh, uh, it's
1: Ivana Batchick was in the van here, was she? Bringing uh, <laughs> in this doctrinaire stuff. This is doctrinaire.
5: There is also support, for your view, from no less a figure... ...than the Chief Justice, Susan Denham, who said... Good on you, Justice. ...who said that the article recognises the significant role... ...played by wives and mothers in the home... It does not exclude women and mothers from other roles. The work is recognised because it has immense benefit for society. Now, some scholars, legal scholars, George, saying that's a very generous interpretation of the legislation.
1: This is the Chief Justice.
5: Mm. Yeah. This isn't some rookie lawyer. No, true, it isn't. And she no, is but a... hold
1: on, I mean, let's get back to this, right? Let's get back to this constitution. One, it says, quite rightly, the role of the woman in the home should be recognized. And increasingly, like so many ideas, the neoliberals, like, want no... Uh, opposition whatsoever to their new ideas, the new world that they have for us. Uh, what was that woman who wrote a book about the new world? Something Carson or something was her name. What was her name? Oh, God, you have me, George. Uh, anyway, come back. Right. So anyway, the new world is, I don't want to be part of it. I'm glad I won't be around. Right. So one to recognizes the work. and there isn't a person listening to this program who doesn't say that women in the home uh, make a huge contribution uh, to the state. Two, and correct me if I'm wrong, it says no woman should be forced by economic necessity to go out of work. That's completely different from saying we won't allow women work. That's completely different. What? That's a very laudable aspiration.
5: Yeah, the difficulty, I suppose, with it, George, is that it makes no reference to the role of a man. ...in terms of domestic duties... ...and at the role of a man in in the home... ...and, you know, arguably... uh, ...there is no doubt in practical terms the vast majority of the burden still falls on the man but I think times have changed since this was written in 1937 when women by and large stayed at home now many women the majority of women probably go out to work many women also do stay at home but you also do now have men staying at home uh, as well uh, much less so admittedly and I don't know some of the language does appear anachronistic whether or not it is worth having a referendum and to go back to your early point about spending Several million euros uh, on it. Uh, I'm not so sure. Um, this t- it strikes me this would have been a better one to attach to the same sex marriage referendum than that okay, ludicrous one Steve, on under 16s
1: for um, correct uh, president. Uh, yeah. under, Steve, age, under 21. Uh, Steve, I agree with you. Could say that instead of woman, you could put in the word person, but you would still be valuing people in the home.
5: Well, I I think if you did that, I don't see how anyone would have a difficulty. The only legal problem is then, I mean, do you have somebody then taking a constitutional action because they would argue, be it a man or a woman, that they are forced to work because they don't have the same, they, they can't afford to live without, the, and, and the state should then provide for me not to work. I, I do wonder, is there a, if if you were to have a constitutional referendum on that, are, are you re- are but you? The state up?
1: already does that. There's a ton of people who don't want to work and they get social welfare. Listen, yeah, I but have to a- go, but I mean, uh, what? I mean, this universal patent court. I mean, this is just balderdash. No, it's I mean, not. No, hang on, it's than- not balderdash.
5: This is this is a really look, and it's I I. This is beyond my pay scale in terms of understanding it. But intellectual property rights are really really important, and this simplifies the law for it's hugely important for Ireland as a country, uh, and it's it's setting up a court and it's a legal thing. That the, in in order to, in terms of transferring power From our own court system uh, We need a referendum It's not Balderdash right, it, ha- it, ha- it. it has to happen It has to happen All right Count
1: Constitution Constitutional standing Now I'm this is
5: Balderdash that. I think <laughs> Go on I just don't see wh- Why? We have a Count Corla That's independently uh, uh, Elected now By, by uh, Secret ballot What is the point Of having a constitutional role For the Count He chairs right. the House And that's it I don't, see all the, right. I don't see
1: the point of it, George. OK, thanks very much. Thanks, from the Dublin, Shane Coleman from Cork, George Hook. Well, thank you for listening to that digest of news from the Daily Right Hook. But, of course, you can hear the full version in all its uh, excitement between 4.30 and 7, every day, Monday to Friday, here on News Talk. Do take care.